Welcome to Musicians vs. the World. Well, I'm very, very pleased today to introduce my guest, concert pianist Rafi Basalian. He is an award-winning concert pianist that has dazzled his audiences in North and South America, Europe, Russia, and Asia, appearing as a soloist and with various orchestras. He has two critically acclaimed albums entitled Dance, Drama, Decadence, and The Return, with his newest album called The Sound of Black and White being released on July 23rd. He is currently Associate Professor of Piano at Georgia State University in Atlanta. And in 2019, Dr. Basalian received the Steinway & Sons coveted Top Teacher Award in recognition of his hard work and commitment to teaching and inspiring young people in their study of piano. So Rafi, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Christina. I'm very, very pleased to be here with you. I am amazed at how many different places you have performed and that you have studied um, from Armenia, which is where you were born, That's and right. Russia, and New York, and now in Atlanta. Yeah. Is, this where, is this where you planned your life to be? And no, absolutely not. I didn't even know probably where Atlanta was when I was studying music <laughs> in Armenia. But, you know, this is where I ended up. And actually, I'm loving being in Atlanta. I love the city. I love the university. And I'm just thrilled to be here. It's wonderful. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now, was music always a passion for you? I think so, yes. Uh, <laughs> I grew up listening to music all the time. I was thinking, you know, the radio was practically on all the time when I was little. And a lot of times it would play classical music. And since I remember myself, maybe at age three or so, I was drawn to when it would play Puccini or Verdi operas and mm -hmm. Rachmaninoff symphonies. It's kind of odd for a three-year-old to be drawn to such complex music, but I was. And actually my mother said, you know, it was even before that, when I was about two or even one, when this kind of music would play on the radio, I would point at it and drag her to the radio i wanted to listen to it wow so i guess it was some kind of passion you know inside of me as i was you know when i was born my serious studies began at age six you know i went to a special music school for gifted children named after tchaikovsky mm. and since then music has been my life practically you know professionally. Yeah. So that was very wise of your parents to recognize that and to put you in the right place. You know, I think the way they recognize that I'm drawn to music, but also my brother started doing music. He was doing the violin and he went to music school when he was seven years old. And when they bought a piano, I started playing on it by ear and picking the melodies and playing and singing along. And then she thought, my mother, actually, she thought uh, I should take him to a teacher and get him, you know, evaluated or something. So she did. And they said, he definitely has very good ear and he's talented. You should take him to a music school. Is music education different in Armenia than it is in America? Yes, the difference is, you know, actually there are music schools that are state-funded, you know, government-funded music schools, you know, oh, wow. at least in Soviet time they were, and I think they still have those schools. Um, they have a special music school in each of the Soviet republics at the time. They had one special music school, and uh, it was an 11-year music school with a set curriculum that was the same for every one of those special schools in all of the Soviet Union. So they played the same repertoire, or at least, you know, select, you know, in each grade. 
And we had uh, exams every semester, actually two exams. We had exams for scales and arpeggios, the technical part of it. And then we had exams for the repertoire part of it. Um, it was pretty rigorous, actually. Yeah, it's very yeah. solid, you know, upbringing, musical upbringing there. And even to enroll in these music schools, uh, you had to go through audition process, actually. Even oh, as a okay. six-year-old, you know, without any background, you had to do that. They would look at you physically. They would look at your hands, you know, how you're built for a certain instrument. They would test your ear. They would make you sing back or, you know, they would test your rhythm. They would make you sing, actually, see how you're singing. And if you could play on an instrument, they would ask you to play. Then they would, you know, either take you or not, reject you. Or they will assign you to a certain instrument you know, to study. I know. So yeah. even yeah, before you could do anything, you were already evaluated in some way oh. to yeah, be placed. Um, but besides, you know, I want to mention also about the education system. Besides the special music schools, they have just regular children's music schools, which are seven year long. The curriculum is very similar to the special school, but a little, you know, more relaxed. And, you know, after seven years, you have a choice of going into music or not. But you still get pretty solid training within these seven years. And again, it's a set curriculum for the entire country, you know, so, yeah, with the same exams and repertoire, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But those children weren't full-time music study. It was they had their own schooling and then they Exactly. Went to music so school. the seven year schools had their own study and you know the music was like after school, you know, music program. However, the special school, you know, everything was in one place. It was almost like a boarding school. So you had your general education, just regular general courses, and the music curriculum going along with that. So it was pretty intense. Yeah. So as you're teaching American kids, do you find yourself having to switch Adjust. gears sometimes? Oh, yes. Uh -huh. um, you know, and the difference is, you know, in those music schools, the teachers are all either conservatory graduates or music mm -hmm. college graduates. You know, whereas in America, many people, you know, with a little bit of background can start teaching music, you know, and mm -hmm. it's free for anyone to teach, I guess. But there yeah. you are not allowed to unless you have the education, you know, to support your teaching. Um, but yeah, when I came here and I started teaching at a college level, I had to deal with all kinds of different levels, you know, coming <laughs> to yeah. school. So, yeah, you have to adjust and accommodate. Yeah, yeah my teacher in high school was from Ukraine. Yeah. And she had just barely, I think, moved to America. And I had to audition to be in her Getting, studio. Yeah. And I played a piece that I had just played for an audition and I got almost a perfect score. And I was like, oh, I'm so good. And I played for her. And oh, my goodness. She just looked at me and she's like, oh, trying to be so nice. But she says, oh, that's that's not good. That sounds for, familiar. Like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so for the next hour and a half, just detail by detail by detail, she just, oh, yeah, I learned a lot. I that's, learned a lot. That's good. You're lucky, actually. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And so it was so interesting for my teenage years. I had her, which is intense, intense that's good. piano teaching. And then I went to college with American teachers and I had to readjust because I was like, Very oh, yeah. this is so, <laughs> you know, so different. 
Um, I want to add to that, you know, as you said, she was very detailed. She was trying to be nice, but, you know, she said, well, this needs to be done. That needs to be done. It's very typical. You know, I remember playing a concert or an exam and I would be so happy. I thought I did so well and I would come out and the teacher would come out. So I would say, oh, yeah, that was that was fine. But um, this, 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 this needs to be still, you know, worked on. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, it has its pluses and minuses too, you know, because sometimes you want to hear encouragement, you know, because mm. encouragement is part of this too. You know, it can inspire you and encourage you to do more, obviously. Um, however, in this country, you know, I realized when I first especially arrived here, I realized it's a lot of encouragement and not enough criticism, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, I think the middle ground would be good. You need to find a balance, you know, of encouragement and criticism, you know, and that I think that would be good. Mm -hmm. That's what yeah. I try to do in my teaching, at least. So, right. yeah. And I bet I bet your students just really do well with that. I actually loved her style of teaching and I loved that detail because I always knew where I stood because she didn't try to just be nice. She just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's how it is. You know, if you want to make progress, you want to be getting, you know, better, you need to work on certain issues. So, yeah. Right. You've been hailed as the true heir of mainstream of Russian pianism, like Horowitz, which is high praise indeed. Yeah, it's very high praise. I, I mean, I'm so proud of that, and I'm so you know thrilled to have that quote. Yeah. So, what does that mean to you? What is Russian pianism to you? You know, uh, it's so hard to put that into one little box because you know, if you look at different Russian pianists, the playing is very different. Each one has you know their personality and qualities. But I think again, what strikes you know, what are the strongest qualities is the virtuosity, the abundance of technique that serves the music, and very emotional approach. Um, and imagery behind everything that you play. It's not just playing well and, you know, virtuosically, but, you know, there's always meaning behind it. Um, and also the power and the warmth of the sound for me and the colors, you know, those are the qualities that come to me when I think of Russian pianism. But again, each one is very different. You know, if you look at Horowitz and you look at uh, Richter or Gilles, uh, you know, those are the big famous names I'm naming, but there are so many, you know, like, mm -hmm. they're all different, but yet they have, you know, some of the same qualities. Yeah. And I think what I love about your playing especially is you have a, a very good clarity to everything. And you're very clear as to here is the melody, here's the counter melody, and every single one of them just is shaped beautifully and singing with that beautiful tone. You're Thank you so about. much. And the singing is another quality, singing at the piano. You know, I was always taught from my early, you know, age to sing on the piano because piano is a percussive instrument and we need to really try to make it sing. So that's another quality of Russian pianism. You know, yeah, I aspire to do that all the time and teach my students as well. Yes. Mm -hmm. And thank you for the compliment, by the way. That's very oh, well, yeah, You're welcome. You. I really love listening to you play. You. Does that shape the type of repertoire that you like to play? Do you find yourself drawn more towards Russian and Armenian music. Yeah, definitely. I'm drawn to Russian music and Armenian music, of course. 
and romantic music in general, because that's where I can express myself to fullest, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, I play all kinds of stuff, but I think the Russian and the romantic music is most that I'm enamored with, I guess. Yeah, but aren't you playing Shostakovich later this year? Yeah, hopefully we are playing that it's, you know, it's still shaping up. But yes, uh, I have a fantastic trumpet colleague at GSU and we're trying to play that together. It will be yeah, great fun. Yeah. I think, yeah, that's not quite romantic, though, is it? No, it's not. Um, it has moments of it. Yeah, but it's yeah. a virtuosic showpiece, you know, it has sarcasm mm-hmm. and humor and some a lot of moments too <laughs> right yeah. i'm excited to hear what you do with that fourth movement yeah <laughs> me too <laughs> so what would you say is your favorite composer to play who do you identify with the most oh yeah i think if i had to pick only one it would be Rachmaninoff. Yeah, uh-huh. Rachmaninoff is you know the one that's you know Actually, he's the one who inspired me and guided me through my life. And actually, he's the reason I'm in America, believe it or not. There's really? a, story, a little story behind that. Yes. Um, I always like playing his music. And I always mentioned that C-sharp minor prelude was the one that got me excited when I was about 10 years old. And I learned it on my own and I took it to my teacher. And I said, oh my goodness, when did you learn this? And how did you manage, you know? And I did. And since then, I've been learning more and more and playing um, and recording it. And one day, when I was still a student at the conservatory, I saw an advertisement of Rachmaninoff competition in Moscow. Um, I thought, I have to do this. It was an old Rachmaninoff program, everything, every single piece had to be Rachmaninoff. And I learned whatever I haven't played by then. And I entered the competition, I got in, and you know, I did pretty well. And there was an American teacher there in Moscow at the time who heard me play. She came to me and started talking and asking about my plans after conservatory and all that. And I said, I have to probably be drafted into the army because it's mandatory in Armenia. And at the time, it was a pretty bad time there. Armenia was in war with Azerbaijan, and it was just a big conflict. And so there's no way that you should leave all of this and go into the army and fight, you know. And I had no skills. Obviously, I'm a pianist all my life. I've been playing the piano. Anyway, so she said, I can, I'll try to do everything I can to help you to come to America if you want to. And I said, I'll be delighted. So she invited me, and the university actually is Rowan University in New Jersey. And that's where she was a professor. She still is there, actually. Um, anyway, so I ended up being an adjunct there as I arrived, and at the same time did my second master's degree there. <laughs> so, yeah, so thanks to Rahman and thanks to Vida Zupancic of Rowan University, here I am in America, you know. That's amazing. Yeah, it is. It's kind of, even when I think about it, it's like, wow, it's fate. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, I can't even imagine. So I've been to one of your lectures for music teachers, and a quote that you said that I really loved was that Rachmaninoff said that the the pedal is the soul of the the piano. piano, Yes. What are your thoughts on that? 
Well, I think because we're so lucky to have this modern instrument, you know, mm -hmm. with all these possibilities, you know, color and timbre and everything. You know, if you think about having no pedal on a piano and playing the same repertoire without the pedal, it's dry and cut and kind of poor sounding in many ways, you know, and when you add that pedal, suddenly everything comes to life, you know, even the air changes in your playing, you know, in the room. So I think that's, that's the soul, you know, it's kind of invisible, you don't see it, but it's there and, you know, suddenly everything is alive. You know? Yeah. So do you spend a lot of time deciding where the pedaling goes in and where it's supposed to be You know, dry. it's so interesting. I think I have certain instinct for it, too. I remember even when I was a kid, you know, my teachers would, of course, you know, tell me exactly where it would, but I would instinctively find the ways to do it, too. And now, too, yeah, of course, I try to hear and see and do it, you know, in a way that it should be looking at certain things in a score, you know, but my ear guides me, I think. That's why even pedaling is kind of hard to teach to students because it can be done so many different ways. There are so many nuances to the pedal, you know, it can be done a million different ways, you know, and people don't realize, you know, there's half pedal, quarter pedal, and, you know, there are slight, you know, nuances. You know. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's a lot of where your clarity comes from too, is just the way Probably, you use your pedal. Yes. Yeah. And sometimes I pedal each note if it's a quick passage and sometimes you can't even tell I'm pedaling, but I am pedaling, you know, <laughs> so. yeah, just like a, like a little flutter yeah. pedal. <laughs> yeah. Your love for Rachmaninoff and the pedal and the soul of, of piano, that's very encapsulated in these albums that you've been working on. I believe so. <laughs> At least I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. So much Rachmaninoff mm -hmm. in The Return. Mm -hmm. um, and then you also paired it with an Armenian composer. So I was wondering where, how you came up with the, um, the program for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I think the concept has been cooking and boiling in my head for a long time since I've been playing all that Rachmaninoff and I've been playing, you know, Armenian music for quite a long time. And I'm in America and I thought, you know, it's all that longing for home, you know, that nostalgia that both Rachmaninoff and Baba Janyan in this particular case were experiencing. They both lived away from their native land and they both always longed for it. And I do too. <laughs> so I thought I can be the bridge between these guys and yeah. put them on a the record in the same album. Also, why these two particular guys? Because um, Baba Janyan actually is quite a big pianist, you know, in a big Russian romantic virtuosic way. He was compared to Rachmaninoff many times. He played Rachmaninoff's music as well. And he was, of course, influenced by Rachmaninoff's music, obviously. The pianism was influenced. Though when you listen to his music, it's very folk-oriented. He uses mm -hmm. a lot of Armenian folk you know, tunes. However, the pianism is influenced by Rachmaninoff. So I thought this would be a great, you know, idea to put on a disc. And the return is the name of the painting by Arnold Brooklyn. Um, Brooklyn was a Swiss symbolist. And that particular painting inspired Rachmaninoff for his B minor prelude. Oh. Yeah, and that was perhaps Rachmaninoff's most favorite preludes, his companion, actually, in his recitals. He always played that. And I think that's the one that, you know, 
constantly reminded him of home. And is that why you put the C-sharp prelude on that one too? Yes, because my journey started with that. And that's, you know. <laughs> now, how did you choose the Babajanian? How did you choose which pieces to put on the album? So these particular pieces are not his uh, most complex pieces, but they are most folk-inspired and they are perhaps most nostalgic sounding mm-hmm. because it's very Armenian. Those are very Armenian in nature and very nostalgic. You know, that's the word because I don't want to say sentimental. It's not. They are not sentimental. They are very nostalgic. So I was looking at the elegy. Mm-hmm. He actually dedicated that to Kajaturian, exactly. who's also yes. a very famous. Very famous Armenian, perhaps the most famous Armenian composer that's well known everywhere. Um, right. And actually, my latest CD that's coming out in July has a lot of Kajaturian's music. Yes. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. Um, this latest CD is very exciting to me because the pieces I play on there are, you know, very... Um, how should I say, audience friendly. Mm-hmm. And I love this particular selection of compositions. And it's music of uh, Kachaturian, music of um, Gershwin. And they are bridged here with a very unexpected composer, Oscar Levant, who you probably know as a Hollywood superstar and a television personality. But he was actually a highly trained composer and a pianist. He was a virtuoso pianist who championed music of Kachaturian and uh, Gershwin. He played, you know, their pieces a lot. And he made transcriptions of Kachaturian's music that I included in this CD. Um, And I thought... What can I put on there that will tie these things up? So I found this Sonatina by Oscar Levant. And okay. it's kind of a known piece, but it's jazzy. It's kind of cool. It's not very long. It's about 10, 12 minutes long, but it's jazzy. It has a little bit of Schoenberg and a little bit of Copeland in there, with whom he started, actually. Um and so I thought this is a great addition because, you know, there's also a little bit of Gershwin in there, too. If you listen to it, you will recognize certain things. So that's in the middle of my program, and it's a world premiere recording. So I'm very excited about this Sonatina, actually. <laughs> so, yeah, that's my newest CD. It's Kachaturian, Levant, and Gershwin. And, yeah, look for it. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that is so exciting. Yeah, it is. And yeah, that's coming out July 23rd. Yes. Uh-huh. So where is that going to be? Where is that going to be available? It will be available on all of the major platforms everywhere. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's so exciting. Now, how was how was making an album through all of this COVID era? Actually, in a sense, it was good because I had the time to practice um, and I flew to Virginia where the recording studios are. It's the company Mm -hmm. Sono Luminous. Um, they closely work with Naxos, you know, Naxos will be the one distributing the CD. So yeah, I flew to Virginia, I recorded there, stayed there for a week, did the editing and everything and flew back. So it was perfect timing in a sense. It was good. I had the time to do it. Oh, that's great. And then another project you're doing is you're an editor now as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's another exciting project. Yes. And hopefully it will evolve into more, you know, things, you know, in the future. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm, um, I signed a contract with Muse Press of Tokyo. It's a company in Japan. And I'm editing uh, 24 preludes of 
Edward Bagdasarian. Um, and actually, the three preludes of this set are recorded on my first CD, Dance Drama Decadence. Uh, and I've been playing those in concert a lot, and people everywhere would be so curious about this music. They would approach me, oh, what are these? Where can we get the music? And, you know, these are great. Uh, I'd say you can't get the music. I mean, it's hard to get this music, or if you get it, it's not well edited. You know, there are many misprints, and, you know, it's kind of hard to even read from that what you get. Mm -hmm. So... After several years, you know, after people approaching me endlessly, I thought, you know, I'm going to do the editing. I'm just going, going to try to do this. And I, you know, talked to people in Armenia. I spoke to actually his student, who is the head of uh, Composers Union in Armenia, and he was very supportive of that. And then I talked to another musicologist in Armenia, and they helped me out with certain things. So... We signed the contracts and now it's in the works. It's happening and it's coming out in August, uh, October, October of 2021. Yeah. Oh, so and the, that's just everywhere or is it going to be mainly in it Tokyo? It will be or everywhere is... actually. No, it will be everywhere. It will be in English and Japanese and, you know, it will be a nice clean edition with fingerings and some markings. And Are you starting with the music that you have that you learned from or is there some sort of source that you're starting? Well, I mean, I got this 24 Preludes, the copy of it from a friend many, many years ago. She brought it from Armenia. It's an old beat up copy of yeah. Soviet time. And Harley can see stuff. You know, I learned from that score. <laughs> And then, yeah, I started editing from that, yeah, actually. And then I found another copy and, you know, I'm comparing and there are many misprints. I had to fix a lot of things. So it's, wow. a, it, it's a slow, hard work, but it's, it's happening. Yeah. Are you doing that just using a notation software? Actually, uh, the guy in Japan who is <coughs> working with me, he's sending me the scores already put in a program and I'm editing oh. in an app you know, with my Apple pencils. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> easy for me because he already puts it in the program. And, yeah. mm -hmm. So what's the story behind these preludes? There's 24 of them? Yeah, there are 24 of them, just like, you know, Rachmaninoff's 24 preludes or Chopin's, you know, I guess they're modeled after those, you know. Mm -hmm. And pianistically, Bagdasarian was also very much influenced uh, by Rachmaninoff, I would say, but again, the harmonic language is very, very different, actually. And what's interesting about this particular 24 preludes is that style evolves. You know, each prelude is so different. Suddenly, he becomes so modern, and then the next one is so romantic. It's like, oh, is this the same guy? <laughs> yeah, but that's, I think, the fascination, because they are all so different. And there's a lot of folk elements in the music, you know, that's so Armenian. That's why I like them, because the pianism is great, but then there's that very Armenian element in there. So, Yeah, and what sort of value do you see for American students to, or pianists to learn Armenian music? You say that the, you know, the harmonic language is very different from Russian music. What's the value of that? I think the value is to open up the ears and the eyes, you know, to more stuff, to music that's, you know, been neglected. You know, we are talking about diversity and inclusion. And I think 
people need to realize that, you know, Armenian music, <laughs> you know, adds diversity, you know, into mm-hmm. our, you know, music world and any, you know, anything that we do. And I think just having something fresh and new that's beautiful and exciting is of value. Mm-hmm. So. I agree. Well, I'm glad that you're doing it. Yeah, yeah, me too. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> now, how would you how would you describe the difficulty level on these preludes? Well, are they... some are very difficult, actually. Um, they are pretty advanced, very advanced. Some are, you know, accessible, maybe like early advanced, you know, or even late intermediate students can play. There are some short ones that are accessible, but some are very complex and virtuosic and harmonically very difficult to, to make sense. So. Have you learned anything about yourself as you are going through this editing process? Yes. <laughs> Honestly, part of it is um, when I first started reading this score that I had, I was thinking, you know, these are not fun to read through, you know. And I think that's part of the reason why I didn't learn all 24 of them, because I just gave up on reading them. There are no markings, no fingerings, no nothing in there, and it's very plain. I thought, you know, if there's something to guide you through, it will be so much quicker. And if score looks cleaner, you know, so I think that's one thing I learned that, yeah, I want that. I want to see that on a page, you know, and I'm sure many will appreciate that. But also I realized that when I'm learning the music, lots of times I don't make markings. I don't write fingerings in or markings and I just learn it. And <laughs> then when I come back to it, because I played some of them and when I was editing, I realized I didn't write anything in. I had to <laughs> play through them slowly many times and write the fingerings and figure it out again. So, mm-hmm. But I uh, kind of enjoy this process um, because just by editing them, you learn the insights you know of the music you know it's different i think you learn them better you understand Mm -hmm. them better it's like behind the scenes you know so do you have any advice for anybody that would love to be where you are a beginning pianist that wants to devote their life to music what advice would you give them oh just believe in yourself trust yourself and if you love it, no matter what obstacles you have, you will overcome and you'll, you'll make it one way or another. You know, I always tell my students, you know, there are so many ways you can be a musician. There are so many avenues for musicians. As we spoke here, you know, you can record, you can edit, you can accompany, you can be a soloist, you can teach, you know, or you can do combination of one or few or all of them. You know, it depends on your interests and your level and ability, but you will find your place if you want to do it. If you really want to do it, if you believe in it, and, you know, I think it's all possible. And I really say to my students that you are the generation that needs to keep this profession alive because things are changing so rapidly. Everybody's so technology involved and obsessed that people forget the essence, the importance of classical music. You know? But I think in some ways, this pandemic made people hungry for it again. I'm realizing that recently I played at Reinhardt University, actually, for yeah, the Teachers Association there. And there was a very good audience there, including lots of young people. And that was truly enjoyable experience, I think, for everybody and felt so good to play and communicate with people. 
as we spoke about recordings and, you know, concerts, they are completely different animals, you know, and I don't know which one I prefer. Uh, depends, you know, but I think there's nothing that can compare with a live performance, you know, because there is that element of communication, give and take, and the energy, the excitement in the hall, the air, it's, you know, it all contributes to our performance, you know. Yeah, there's nothing like it. No. I do hope that uh, people will continue really doing classical music, going to concerts and taking lessons and uh, supporting this, you know, because... There's nothing like it, you know, I know from my own experience, you know, it feeds you, it makes you healthy, actually. I always tell my wife, if I don't practice for a couple of days, I don't feel good, you know, emotionally nor physically. It's like medicine to me, you know, <laughs> and I think there is certain truth to that. I think classical music, you know, feeds your senses, feeds your emotions and your body and soul, everything. I think it's just a very important component of our lives. And I thank you so much for being here and talking with me and sharing all of your wonderful stories and making me miss my old piano teacher. <laughs> Likewise, <laughs> and I too enjoy talking to you. It's fun, you know, speaking with you about all this. And I wish you all the best with your upcoming projects and your recordings and editing and all of your future engagements. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Musicians vs. the World is a production of Frosted Lens Entertainment in conjunction with Smithstown Music. A very special thank you to concert pianist Rafi Basalian for sharing his inspiring stories with us, along with his advice, his wisdom, and his beautiful music. You can find out more about Dr. Basalian on his website, rafibasalian.com. The music you've heard today is Rachmaninoff's Etude Tableau, Opus 39, Number no. 5, Edward Bagdasarian's Prelude in B Minor, and Rachmaninoff's Prelude in C Sharp Minor, Opus 3, Number 2. All were performed by Rafi Basalian under the IMC Music and Sono Luminous labels. I'll put the links to his recordings as well as his own website in our show notes at frostedlens.com slash musicians versus the world. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on any future conversations. And if you really want to help us reach more people that may be interested in Dr. Basalian's story, share this episode with them or leave us a nice review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any topics you'd like discussed or questions about music or musician life that you've always wanted answered, be sure to reach out to us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, or send us an email at info at Thanks so much.